Welcome to the Victory of the Lamb podcast. We are a simple, straightforward Bible teaching church in Katy, Texas. If you are in the area, we'd love for you to stop by anytime. Otherwise, we hope you use this podcast to grow in your faith and be confident in sharing it with many. You can find us online at VOTL.org. We hope you enjoy this message, and God bless your week. Dear Christian, grace, mercy, and the resulting peace be yours in abundance today as you realize anew how God goes above and beyond in each one of those categories for your soul and well-being. Why would someone change their name? Keep that question in the back of your mind today. Because it's going to help you understand the sermon verses before us from Isaiah chapter 62. Here's one reason someone would change their name. Adolf Eichmann lived a few decades ago, and he was tabbed by Adolf Hitler to be the man who would be in charge of identifying Jews and transporting them to concentration camps. As World War II was coming to a close, Adolf Eichmann knew, if I stay in Germany, I'm a goner. So he arranged for himself to be smuggled off to Argentina, where he changed his name and lived for about 15 years under the name Ricardo Clement. Eventually, people figured out that Ricardo was actually Adolf, and he was smuggled back to Israel held on trial for his crimes, and hanged. I think it's obvious, isn't it, why Adolf Eichmann decided to change his name. Another reason someone might change their name is if they're an undercover police officer and they want to change their name so that they blend in with the criminals to lead them to trust him or her and then tell them information that will get them caught and off the streets. Occasionally it's happened to me where someone comes from a different country to the U.S. and they have changed their name, giving themselves an American name that's easier to pronounce because their Asian name or, or whatever is very difficult for an English speaker to pronounce. And if you think about each of those situations, answering the question, why would someone change their name? The common denominator in each of the situations is this. They all changed their name so that they could blend in. Eichmann changed his name so he could blend in with the Argentinians. An undercover police, p- police officer changes their name so that they can blend in with the criminals and not be noticed as anything different. Someone else would change their name so that they can blend in in the new country in which they live. But here's the name change where someone isn't really wanting to blend in. They're trying to actually stand out as special. I'm talking about the name change that happens when there are wedding bells. Not really trying to just blend in, but actually trying to announce something special just happened. Something big just changed. For Amy and me, that was... June 28, 1998, when Miss Amy Moldenhauer became Mrs. Amy Beagie. A great name change. Everything is, is different going forward, and we're happy about it. Another name change coming up for us very soon 
in a few months, our oldest daughter, if you didn't know, is getting married this summer. And that name change will be Miss Abigail Beagie becomes Mrs. Abigail Hilmer. God willing. It's going to be a big deal. A big announcement. The name is changing and everything going forward is different and we're happy about it. So the big question for you to think about here is this. God tells you in Isaiah 62, He's changing your name. Yes, yours. And is it because He just wants you to blend in like a generic nobody? Or is it because He wants you to stand out as special and He wants the whole world to know about it? It's the second one and not the first one. And so as we are uncovering this beautiful truth that God has a name change in mind for you because He goes above and beyond the call of duty in His love and compassion and forgiveness for you, it's something we can be thankful for, excited about, and, and really bask in the afterglow of it. I think you'll see what I mean as we get started here with verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah chapter 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. So don't miss the fact, this is God's idea. It's His mouth that is assigning the new name. And He's not ready to kick back and rest or relax, chill out, be calm, cool, and collected. He cannot keep silent. He cannot remain quiet. He is like a brewing, bubbling bundle of joy. And this is why. Verse 3. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem, which is another word for a crown, in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, which means my joy is in her, and your land Beulah, which means married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. You will be a crown in God's hand. A royal possession of His, a royal diadem, a crown in His palm. He's so tight with you and you are so special to Him. It's not enough to just say you're His friend or you're His neighbor that He gets along with. He wants you to know that He thinks of you as His bride. He is the groom, you are His bride, and that's how it's always 
going to be. The name change was this. We understand it best when we realize where we started. The name used to be deserted, and where we lived, the place was called desolate. Now, don't you think that would be a soup of negativity if your name was deserted and you lived in desolate, and every time someone referred to you by that identity, you were reminded of it? Hello, desolate from... I'm sorry, I got it mixed up. Hello, deserted from desolate. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hello, deserted from desolate. Where are you going this weekend? Probably won't be very fun, will it? Hello, deserted from desolate. Do you think anything's ever going to change? Because I don't. That's how life was. For you and me, when we were born in sin and stuck there. Because sin makes us lonely. It separates us from God and other people. And it also makes us desolate where we are there all by ourselves with no hope whatsoever. Because it doesn't take very long to realize from the pages of the Scripture that you cannot ever buy your way out of trouble with God because of your sinfulness. And we're all sinful, deserted, and desolate. But the Lord says when he comes around with his holiness, I've got a name change for you. It's all because of me and my gift. I don't want you to be known as deserted anymore. I want you to be, I want you to be known as my joy is in her. And that's what everyone's going to know when I introduce you to them. And I don't want you to live in this land called desolate anymore. I want you to live in the land called married so that you can always remember, me and you are together, God says. We're always united. I am with you till the end of the age, and it's never going to change. You always will be this crown in my hand, this, this royal possession that I have, that I'm so excited about. And remember, the Lord is not just calm as He's indicating who we are in His eyes. He is restless because He just wants everybody to know He can't wait to shout it from the mountaintops. Hey, everybody! My joy is in her! And now when we are identified that way, my joy is in her from married... Life looks a whole lot different. Instead of the soup of negativity that never left, now it's this enjoyment of the promises of God that never leave. Hey, my joy is in her from married. Where are you going this weekend? Probably be pretty fun, no matter where it is. Hey, my joy is in her from married. What's for dinner tonight? Probably be something good. Even if it doesn't go as well, then you just fail forward. Who cares? Hey, my joy is in her from married. What's next for you? Something pretty cool, I bet. Do you see how God's name changed for us? From His mouth makes all the difference in the world when we go from being deserted, desolate sinners to being the apple of our Lord's eye when he says very personally, my joy is in her and you 
are the her. So as we think about these scriptures from Isaiah 62, what sin that we fall in love with and embrace sadly to our detriment pops up in, in our life that we can think about and repent of and, and work to struggle against. As you're thinking about that, I want to tell you, take a little detour here and uh, talk about Cinderella of all things because I think that will help you analyze the sin that I'm, I'm trying to point out from these Bible verses. So you all know the story of Cinderella, right? She started as a servant girl. She had stepsisters that she had a wicked stepmother that was even worse to her, taunted her at every turn, made her do all the hard work. And Cinderella was miserable. I mean, she might be considered deserted, desolate, rough life for her. The prince had a ball. Cinderella wasn't invited, but eventually she found her way to there anyways. And of course, fairy godmother helped, as well as the mice and stuff. And at the ball, the prince fell in love with her, and she fell in love with him, and everything was great. Fast forward through the glass slipper part, and, and they're, they're in the palace. They're getting married. They're about to go live happily ever after. And all of a sudden, Cinderella tells her prince, excuse me just for a minute. And she goes to the bathroom, and she changes back into her servant clothes, her slave clothes, and she takes the the jewelry that the prince had given her for the wedding and to keep and hold and cherish forever. And she throws them on the ground and says, I don't need this anymore. And she walks out the palace door and the prince says, where are you going? My joy is in you. Well, I mean, I don't deserve to be the princess and I don't deserve to marry you. And I mean, whatever. I, I, I really just deserve to be there um, at my wicked stepmother's house and, and do all that labor and, and uh, the more that comes on me, it's just kind of how it is because I probably deserve it that way. And she trudges back to her house and she insists on living the deserted, desolate life as the prince is standing there with tears in his eyes and arms open wide. Can you see where I'm going? The sin commit against God far too often is when we hear him tell us things like my joy is in you and I was willing to die to prove it and we say man well I don't deserve it and insist on holding our guilt close to our heart God wants to give us honor and we insist on holding shame from our sin close to our heart as though Jesus hadn't done one thing and never would do anything to pay for it. That is sinful. When God's mouth says, you are forgiven because of me and my blood, my joy is in you because of my decision and my announcement. If we argue with him and insist on still living the deserted, desolate life as though we still have to pay for our own sinfulness, that in itself is sinful. We repent of that. And we're ready to listen to God's heart all over again. Lord, tell me about how my joy is in you and your joy is in me and how we are married and together until death us do part, which it never will because you conquered death, didn't you, Lord? 
we're all ready to hear him tell us about how he fell head over heels in love with us and wants nothing but the best for us and even has a home in heaven prepared for us. We take those sinful, dirty clothes off and leave them in a heap and instead always wear the robe of righteousness, the perfect promises of God that He gives us to wear just because He wanted to. And we don't argue with Him. Let God's facts drive your feelings. Then we will enjoy the grace and forgiveness He has lived and died and risen to provide. It's an ongoing struggle for all of us. It was an ongoing struggle for many others as well. A familiar story that some of you may have heard me say before, but it's worth bringing up and saying again, is one from Martin Luther himself. When, one time, somebody asked him, Dr. Luther, do you feel forgiven? And I mean, if anybody should feel forgiven, I guess it would be him. But instead he said, no, I don't feel forgiven at all. I feel terrible because of my sins. I'm so ashamed of them. And I can't undo them. I deserve God's wrath and punishment in hell. And yet, even though I feel terrible about my sins and that I'm not forgiven, that doesn't matter. Because God's Word in the Holy Scriptures that I returnal and stand firm in the heavens say that I'm forgiven in Christ. And God never lies. Luther wisely caught on in faith, walking by faith and not by sight, that when it comes to a boxing match between your feelings and God's facts in the Scripture, God's facts always win. No more deserted and desolate. Only embracing, my joy is in her. We are together married for eternity. Because God has not just forgiven most of your sins and He barely squeaked by in the process. He has forgiven all of your sins with an ocean of forgiveness that knows no bound. And He doesn't want to just tell a handful of people that He knows kind of well about what He thinks of you. He wants to tell the whole world, anyone who will listen, about how precious you are to Him for all eternity. Let God's facts drive your feelings about how He has gone above and beyond to make you His child forever. Get there. Stay there. And stop being afraid. Amen. Time is precious. Thank you so much for investing some of your time with us today. Could I ask you for one more favor? If you're enjoying this podcast, please don't forget to click subscribe and give us a rating. Just a few seconds of your time will help other people hear the simple, straightforward Bible message we offer. Thank you so much. God bless your day in Christ.